guess. Mr. Bishop, we would like you to go ahead. There are a thousand ways to kill a man. And one assassin knows them all. Murder is only killing without a license. And everybody kills. But when the best in the business There are times when I could use a backup takes on a partner I'm gonna teach you all I can. The last hit of his life Play to win, do you? I'm gonna pick my own mark. Could be his own. The Mechanic is a non-stop thrill ride. Charles Bronson. Jan Michael Vincent. The Mechanic. How long till she goes? Just about now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Burt Reynolds Charles Bronson Podcast. I'm your host, Scott White. And what movie are we looking at this time? We're looking at The Mechanic from 1972, starring Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent. Uh, and directed by Michael Werner. Winner. Sorry, Michael Winner. This is the first teaming of Michael Winner and Charles Bronson. Michael directed him in four other movies after this. And as I said, this is uh, The Mechanic from 1972. And uh, just a little side note here. You may know of my other podcast, the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. And the last podcast I did on that one was My Girl. And it was set in 1972. And after seeing a movie that was actually in 1972 and seeing a movie that was trying to recapture 1972, My Girl did not recapture 1972 that well after seeing an actual 1972. The movie opens and we see Charles Bronson. He's renting a a really low-rent hotel room in the bad part of L.A. And he starts photographing a room across the way and just right off the bat this movie sort of reminds me of another Michael Winner Charles Bronson movie Death Wish 2 because during all this we see Charles Bronson he rents a low rent room he has taken pictures of that room and we cut back to him in his very palatial home very nice home and he's looking at all these pictures that he's taken on the wall and then we cut back to uh, the, the, the grungy streets of L.A., which is exactly how the uh, second and third act of Death Wish 2 happened. Charles Bronson was renting a uh, crappy room downtown, and then he would go back to his nice palatial home when he wasn't killing thugs. This is a very, very methodical movie uh, about a methodical man. Uh, and we'll, I'll, I'll get to why I don't think a lot of people like this or why it has such a low... It has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I don't think it deserves 19%. Uh, but I'll get back to that later. So, But it's Charles... Br- he, we don't know what he's doing. He's taking pictures from across the way. He comes back to his house. He starts examining the pictures. What's in this old man's apartment? He also has pictures of, of an, an older man. That's who the apartment is. After he examines the pictures... We sort of see a light go off in Bronson's head, and then Charles Bronson breaks into the old man's apartment, and he fiddles with the gas stove. We don't know what's happening right now, but he fiddles with the gas stove, and then he replaces this old man's tea bags with other tea bags, and then he takes a book from the old man's bookshelf, and he places something into it, and he places it back. 
And then we go back to his room across the way. Charles Bronson is just sitting there waiting. The old man comes back home. He fixes himself a glass of tea. He drinks the tea, and the tea immediately puts him to sleep. We know that the tea doesn't kill him because we see him yawning. Tea just put him to sleep. And Charles Bronson checks his watch, and it's daytime. He takes something out of his pocket, and he starts crushing it in his hand. We don't know what it is at this point. Sim- we know if this is symbolic or not at this point. But he does this for quite some time, because the next shot, it's night. Charles Bronson takes a rifle out of a case, and he shoots the book that he put the material in, and the whole second floor of the boom just explodes. And we hear all the chaos outside, and while that's happening, Charles Bronson is just putting his rifle back together. Now, at this point, I just want to say, I stopped and looked. It was 15 minutes and 48 seconds into this movie, not a word is spoken. We hear background noise, we hear background chatter, but not a word is spoken by any character. As I said, this is a very methodical movie. This movie methodically tracks Bronson doing what he has to do for the first 15 and a half, 16 minutes of this movie. This is excellent showing, not telling. No exposition. We figure it out on our own. Even though there's no dialogue, you're just very, very invested in this because you don't know what's going on. And they're not force-feeding it what's going on. You don't get a get a voiceover, I gotta kill this guy. We don't, nothing. And it's, it's really, really nice filmmaking. And it also shows us that Bronson is a professional, and he takes his time doing things, and to get his target, he doesn't care if he kills other people. Because there's a lot of other people that died in that hotel. I'm sure he wasn't the only one on that floor. At this point, we cut back to Charles Bronson's home. He gets a phone call. Yes. That's the first word spoken in this movie. Almost 16 minutes in. Yes. We find out that Charles Bronson's character name is Arthur Bishop. And he gets his call. And on the other end, it's very, very important. I I, got to meet you. So Charles Bronson... So Charles Bronson drives to this other giant house... And he's talking to this older gentleman. He says, uh, the organization said I broke an agreement. Apparently, this older man is in charge of the organization or runs the organization. I shouldn't say in charge. Runs the organization and the people who are in the organization felt that he has done something to hurt the organization. And now they uh, won't return his calls and he's getting kind of nervous And Charles Bronson's dad used to run this organization. And he's calling in a favor. He wants Charles Bronson to talk to the people in charge, find out what's going on. Because he's obviously a little bit worried at this point. He doesn't know what's going on because he can't get an answer. They go out to have a drink, and this older gentleman, whose name is Frank McKenna, tells a story how... He and Charles Bronson and his dad all went fishing, and Charles Bronson fell into the water, and his dad wouldn't save him, and and Charles Bronson couldn't swim. So finally, this old man had to pull him out of the water, and I think that story 
was just to reinforce like, yes, I helped you out one time. Please help me out now. And at this point, Jan Michael Vincent shows up. He is the son of Frank McKenna, Steve McKenna. And he asks for some money from his dad. And he sort of he sort of ribs his dad. Like, well, you don't like it when I ask money, but this is this money you've taken from other people. You've stolen from other people. So Jan Michael Vincent knows his dad's into shady things. I don't think he knows at this point quite what it is, but he knows it's not on the up and up. We cut back to Bronson's house, and a package arrives for Charles Bronson. And he takes out the package, and it's a picture of Frank, the man he was just talking to. So this is how Charles Bronson gets his assignments. He is a professional hitman, and this is how he gets, and a package arrives for him, and it has all the information that he needs to figure out how they're going to kill these people. All these people need to be killed in a way where it doesn't look like murder. It has to look like an accident. So that's Charles Bronson's specialty, killing people, but making it look like they died of natural causes or an accident. We get pictures of Frank, and he goes over his medical history, all that's included in the packet. And we cut to Charles Bronson running along the beach. He's testing something out. He's running, he's running, he runs to his car, and he takes his pulse. And then we see him get a call saying, go ahead. Apparently, you get the information, and if the organization wants you to go through, you get the call. So even getting the package, you could put all this prep in. But I guess the organization could just call and say, nope, it's off, or yes, it's on. Well, it's on. And he brings Harry to the beach under the guise of, well, the organization wants to talk to you. They want you to meet you down there. I'll be up here. And he leaves Harry there. And then all of a sudden he takes a gun out and he starts shooting around at Harry's feet. Charles Bronson pops up. Harry, it's a double cross. Get to the car. This is his plan. He looked into Harry's medical background and knows that Harry has a weak heart. And Harry starts running, and he starts panting, and you can see that he's if he's not having a heart attack, he's clearly close to having a heart attack. And he gets to the car, and he starts breathing hard, and Charles Bronson walks up to him, and Harry just realizes, it's like, you! Charles Bronson's like, yeah. And he's like, just finish it! Charles Bronson puts his hand over his mouth and suffocates him. And then he goes back home, and he burns all the information. So that's how a hit happens. And we've established once again that Charles Bronson, this is just all a job for him. He doesn't I have an emotional connection to anything like this because he just killed a ton of innocent people with that explosion. And then he killed a man which he considered a friend and was a friend of the family for years. All a job to him. Next, we see Charles Bronson go to this apartment and he knocks on the door and Jill Ireland opens the door. She is just so happy to see him. She didn't think she was going to ever see him again. And she just, just overloads with emotion onto him. You know, how much she misses him. How much she wants him. She has written him a letter. It's just all. And then he picks her up and takes her to the bedroom. And then the next morning we find out that Jill Ireland was a prostitute.
It'll be a hundred more this time. The letter took me a while to make up. Oh. All right? Yes. The letter was good. Try to think of something like it for next time. Okay. I will. Little known fact, Charles Bronson fought to get his wife in this movie. He said, if my wife is not in this movie, I will not do this movie. This was the beginning. They were just married. They hadn't been married that long. And Jill Ireland will go to star in most of his movies after this with bigger, bigger parts. This was a small part. She had like fourth billing, and she's only in the movie for like maybe two or three minutes. This movie is basically Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent for the majority of the movie. Now we're at Harry's funeral. And Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent are standing back. They're not up near the mourners. And Jan Michael Vincent talks bad about his dad. He knew what he was. You could tell that Jan Michael Vincent was nowhere near close to his father. He was just using him for money. This is an insight which is going to become important later in the film. Charles Bronson starts to walk away. And Jan Michael Vincent just says, Hey, can I get a ride home? And this is all while the funeral is going on. And we actually see the mourners and the, the priest look over at those two. And we cut to Harry's house, which is now Steve's house, Jan Michael Vincent. And it's just overrun. It's just overrun with his quote-unquote friends who are just strictly there to take advantage of him. We see them drinking all the liquor. We see them, see them eating all the food. They're making long-distance phone calls to Afghanistan. This scene is very, very close to a scene in another podcast I did for the Dan Aykroyd podcast, Trading Places. When Eddie Murphy gets to become rich, he invites all of his friends over to his house and they take advantage of him as well. And if you want to check that podcast out, please go to the Dan Aykroyd podcast and check out the Trading Places podcast. Well, while they're at the place, uh, Steve, Jan Michael Vincent, gets a call from Louise She said she's going to kill herself. He goes over there. He takes Charles Bronson with him. And she's sitting there. Jan Michael Vincent is really being a dick to her. I guess she's done this a lot in the past. He doesn't believe that she's going to do it. And she actually slits her wrist. And she starts bleeding out. And Charles Bronson says, uh, you know, according to your weight, you'll have about two and a half to three hours to live. She is banking on the fact that Jan Michael Vincent will not let her die. And Jan Michael Vincent and Charles Bronson does absolutely nothing to help her. They just sit there and watch her bleed out. And when she finally realizes they're not going to do anything, Jan Michael Vincent throws the keys to her and says, well, maybe you can make it to the doctor before you bleed out. Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent just leave while she drives herself to the doctor. While they're going back to Jan Michael Vincent's house, there's a discussion, you know, Jan Michael Vincent is like, would you let her have cashed out? And Charles Bronson's like, I don't know, would have you let her, ch-? you know, they go back and forth. Charles Bronson made no effort to, to help her, and Jan Michael Vincent made no effort to help her. And you have to be a certain kind of person to sit there and just watch a person die in front of you and not do anything. So Jan Michael Vincent knows there's something, there's something about Bronson. He doesn't know what it is yet, but he knows something. So there's something drawing him to Bronson. You know, he's trying to get into Bronson's head, and Bronson's just not letting him in. Not yet. 
Next, we cut to a montage of Charles Bronson jogging, Charles Bronson taking karate, Charles Bronson throwing knives. This is pretty much a trope in a lot of Charles Bronson movies where you see him working out, especially jogging. And I think it's because Charles Bronson hit his stride when he was in his late 40s, early 50s. And I think this is just a setup to the audience that even though he's older, he's still in good shape. Because all these movies have an exercise montage to show us that Charles Bronson can do the things that he does in this movie because he is in good shape. We also see him taking a lot of pills. He's a pill popper in this movie. He goes to a, an aquarium, starts looking around, all of a sudden things start to go swirly in his head, and he passes out, and he wakes up at a doctor's office. And the doctor says he has acute anxiety reaction. I th at this point, we're trying. I guess it's like Charles Bronson is... I don't know if he's beginning to get a conscience about this or if he's just overworked. But, you know, too many pills, too many jobs, it may be catching up with him. That's what's mulling around in his mind. And uh, the next scene, Charles Bronson wakes up in the morning, goes out to get his paper, and Jan Michael Vincent is sitting there in his car, wants to talk to Bronson. Once again, he's trying to get into Bronson's head. He, know, he, he knows Bronson does something for the organization. He doesn't know what, but he's intrigued. And Charles Bronson is still keeping him at arm's length. Charles Bronson says, I got to do something. He's like, can I go with? And we cut to them flying a plane. So Charles Bronson is a pilot in this movie. And he says he's a pilot because it helps him keep him sharp. It keeps his equilibrium. So even if you're upside down, you can think straight or along those lines. Next, they're in a bar. Charles Bronson opens up a little bit and says that his father was a judge in the organization. And I guess that means there's a panel of judges and these judges pass down sentences and they have to be followed. And his father was killed by a shooter out of St. Louis. That's why he's part of the... His father is part of the organization, so that's why he is part of the organization. And once again, we cut to more exercise. Uh, Jan Michael Vincent, Charles Bronson playing handball. So I think these scenes are to cement the fact that these two are growing closer to each other. Uh, then we cut to a karate class where they're watching and... They're back at Charles Bronson's home, and Jan Michael Vincent lays it on the line. It's like, he goes, what do you do, and how can I become a part of it? And Charles Bronson finally opens up to him and tells him what he does for the organization. Okay, don't get uptight. Not me. Ah, oh, bullshit. Look, every time we're on this subject, the same thing happens. As long as we're wrapping it out in your terms, everything's okay. But the minute I have a question or I want to know something specific from you... You either shine me on or go out for coffee. What the hell is going on? You're pressing pretty hard. You better be damn sure you want to know. This is not freshman philosophy time. I'm sure. You ever hear of the term mechanic used outside of its normal meaning? Yeah. Where? My father used it. It's a dealer, guy who works game tables. Anything else? Sure. It's a shooter. A hitman. So? So there we are. 
And that's your action. Yeah, that figures. I'm telling you this because there are times when I could use a backup. And now Charles Bronson is going to train him to be an assassin like him, a mechanic. And we then we see him uh, sort of a training montage, they're skeet shooting. Then they go to a wax museum. They sort of have a philosophical conversation about how most killers become heroes in you know in the in the eyes of the public if enough time has passed. And then they're at dinner, and Charles Bronson brings out the... It's a ball of wax. That's what he was squeezing at the beginning of the movie. And he was squeezing it, and he's squeezing it, and Jan Michael Vincent asks what the ball of wax is for, and it says it helps build up the hands, and Charles Bronson puts his pinky finger and his ring finger in a glass and shatters it. It doesn't really... The ball of wax, I guess, it doesn't really come into play in the movie, but once again, I think it just proves how methodical Charles Bronson is. Charles Bronson has built up every part of his body, including his pinky finger. His pinky finger is probably stronger than most people most people's arms. Then they get a package. It's a hit. Charles Bronson is going to bring Jan Michael Vincent in on this hit. And we cut to three men on motorcycles and Jan Michael Vincent is following them on a motorcycle and Charles Bronson is following them in a car and they go to the zoo. And then we find out that they're drug dealers. And then we go back, uh, we follow the drug dealers back to the house. And once again, Charles Bronson is methodically photographing the house. Well, they have a gate here. They have cameras here. They're getting the routine of the guards. I mentioned before, this movie only has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think people might think that it, because it's, a, it's supposed to be a shoot 'em up bang, bang. But it's not. It's a slow-paced, methodical movie showing a slow-paced, methodical man and how things can be done methodically. And if you do things step by step by step, you eliminate the chaos. You eliminate distractions where you can just get the job done the most efficient way. Maybe not the quickest way, but the most efficient way. They go back to Charles Bronson's house, and Jan Michael Vincent and Charles Bronson are going over the pictures that they have uh, taken. Then they go back to scoping out the criminals, and they follow the three men on the motorcycle. They go to this other guy. They find out that this other guy is going to be delivering the dope to the house the rest of the dope. So the, the dope that they got at the zoo was just a small portion. They're going to the drug dealer and they're going to get the majority of it delivered to the house. And Charles Bronson is able to figure this out because he's able to lip read. And uh, now they call to the garage and they asked if they can take their car in and the garage says, no, we're closed on Sunday. And the reason they do this is because this garage, I don't think, it, it might not be a garage. I don't know what it is, a factory or something like that. It has a... It has a tub of acid, and they're going to use the acid to get rid of the bodies. They found out that the drugs are going to be delivered by a chicken delivery truck. So they're going to deliver the drugs in a barrel of chicken. The plan is 
they're going to stop that truck, they're going to get into that truck, and then that truck will be able to get through the gates. And that's what they do. They kill the driver. Jan Michael Vincent is driving the truck. Charles Bronson is in the back. You can see a motorcycle in the back. They're coming prepared. They get through the gate. Jan Michael Vincent is standing there with the bucket. The guards, this is the way it's supposed to go, so the guards are not alarmed by this at all. The guard opens the front door, takes the bucket from Jan Michael Vincent, and Charles Bronson jumps out of the bushes and kills him. And then Jan Michael Vincent and Charles Bronson goes, go throughout the house, and Charles Bronson takes out uh, his target, but the main target gets the best of Jan Michael Vincent and drives away on a motorcycle. So Charles Bronson has to go after him on the motorcycle. And, okay, and to compare, they also put the helmet on. So this is also the helmet gig. I mentioned it before in the uh, Cop and a Half podcast, which is also here on the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Whenever a star has to ride a motorcycle, they put the helmet on. That way, the stuntmen can drive the motorcycle, and you have no idea. Well, you can't tell that it's not the star driving the motorcycle. And there's this huge motorcycle chase. Kind of, you know, it's really exciting. Up and down the mountains, they go through this rich man's yard. Very, very nicely filmed. Charles Bronson is able to force the other guy off the cliff into an accident. And we see them taking care of the other bodies in the acid. And then we're back at Charles Bronson's house. And you can see that Jan Michael Vincent is not happy with himself for letting that guy get the best of him. And Charles Bronson is surprisingly calm. It's like, it happens, uh, but don't let it happen again. You know, good advice. You know, at this point, Charles Bronson gets a call from the big guy from the organization. He's like, I, I want to meet you. Charles Bronson flies to this island where this house is. Once again, very, very elegant house. It's, it's shown in this movie that crime pays big time. Everybody connected with crime lives in these huge, huge mansions. This man has a leopard on a chain in his backyard. There's really no good guys or bad guys in this movie. They're all bad guys. We, we sort of see the bad people are policing themselves in this. Once this person gets out of line, we have to take care of them. But there's no really good guys stepping in and, and taking care. It's like it's the bad guys taking care of bad guys. Bronson is at the, the big guy of the organization at his house. And he found out about what happened with the last hit. He's not happy with that. And he's not happy that he brought Jan Michael Vincent in without telling them. And Charles Bronson says, well, I need help. I don't need your permission to do this. They're not happy with it. But then they say, okay, well, we have this new job. There's a guy in Italy. He's going to talk to these people. And if he talks to these people, a lot of people in the organization are going to be unhappy. So you got to take care of them. But you got to take care of them right away. And Charles Bronson is resistant at first because that's not his style. He doesn't do anything right away. He plans and plans and plans. And that's how he gets things done. But this guy says, it's got to be done now. And he says, if, maybe if you do this now... It'll get you back into the good graces of the organization for doing something uh, that you didn't tell us that you were going to do. So Charles Bronson agrees, and he's going to take Jan Michael Vincent with him to Italy. So he goes to Jan Michael Vincent's house, trying to find him. He's not at home, so he's going to leave him a message of some sort, and he's going through the drawers of Jan Michael Vincent, and he finds a packet on himself, his picture, his medical background, all of his, you know, his traits... 
Now Charles Bronson realizes that the organization has put a hit out on him and they're using Jan Michael Vincent. And he still takes him to Italy with him. I don't... Uh, he's doing this for... A, either he's keeping Jan Michael Vincent close to him so he can track his movements or like they have to get the phone call. Maybe they're going to reconsider. Maybe they're not going to kill him if they get this job done. For whatever reason, Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent are in Italy to kill this guy. Once again, they're staking out the guy they have to hit. He's still taking pictures. He doesn't have a lot of time, but the time he does use, he's going to use his methodical way to try and uh, hit this guy. And we see Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent at a restaurant in Italy, and there's this bottle of wine, and Charles Bronson just loves this wine. You can only get it in Italy. They don't export it. And the last time he was in Italy, it was 10 years ago. So he's really enjoying this bottle of wine. And Jan Michael Vincent is just gulping it down. And he's like, just, no, easy, easy. Just, just take it easy. Because Jan Michael Vincent is a little, he still hasn't gotten the methodical part down. He wants to get to business and get things done. Well, there's more surveillance. There's more surveillance. They find out that this guy has a boat and that he sleeps on his boat. And what they're going to do is, you know what? We'll blow up the boat. We'll scuba diver out. We'll scuba diver. We'll scuba diver. We'll scuba. We'll scuba dive out to the boat. Plant some bombs. It'll make it look like the diesel fuel exploded. And so they scuba up to the boat. They climb onto the boat. They're going to take out the guards. They pull the sheets back on the guards' bed, and there's nobody in there. There's two dummies in there. So they've been set up, and the guards start coming in, and they start shooting. So Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent brought weapons with them, just in case, which is good because they have to use them. And this guy is going to kill Charles Bronson, and Jan Michael Vincent takes him out. They're able to blow up the ship, get back to shore. Now Jan Michael Vincent wants to know what's going on, and Charles Bronson has figured it out. It's like, well, the organization wants to kill me because I didn't do what they said, uh, which is why the organization killed uh, Jan Michael Vincent's dad. They did something because he did something contrary to what the organization wanted, and that's what Charles Bronson did. So Charles Bronson has figured it out. Now it's kind of weird. It's like, okay, so the organization is going after Charles Bronson, yet the organization is still having Jan Michael Vincent. So I guess maybe Jan Michael Vincent is a backup in case the organization is not able to kill Charles Bronson. And also, this is really, really cloak and dagger stuff. It just seems like a lot of work to send a guy to Italy just to have a setup uh, so they are killed. I don't know. It just seems like a lot of work when they could have gotten a shooter to take out Charles Bronson like a shooter took out his dad. There's a... Uh, I guess it's code or something like that there, or honor with the organization. It's just not... It just seems like really, really blown out of proportion to, to kill Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent. The remainder of the organization's men are after them and there's this chase through these uh, narrow Italian roads and they, you know, they're they're throwing bombs out of cars and blowing up cars, and they're driving through roadblocks and they're shooting people. And at the very, very end, Charles Bronson able to 
hotwire a bulldozer and push the final car over the cliff. And they think they're in the clear. And they get back to their hotel room in Italy. And it's like, we got to get out of here. And Jan Michael Vincent has a bottle of that special wine. A bottle of that special wine that he goes, you know, you might not be back here for 10 years. Let's have a drink. And they have a drink. And Jan Michael Vincent has poisoned Charles Bronson. What the hell? Let's go. Brucine. You'll, uh, be dead in a few minutes. <laughs> Listen, you'll really appreciate this. This stuff is absolutely clear when it's in solution. I just coated the inside of the glass with it and let it dry. And when the wine hit it, it went right back into solution. No trace. It looks just like a heart attack. Charles Bronson said, is it because I killed your father? And he's like, I didn't even know you killed my father. I just thought he died. And then it turns out that Jan Michael Vincent was not hired by the organization. Jan Michael Vincent gathered all that information on his own. He chose Charles Bronson as a target. He's like, I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm going to choose the jobs that I want to do. And I guess to prove himself, he had to kill the best to become the best, which is what he does. Charles Bronson ends up succumbing to the poison in the, uh, in the hotel room. And Jan Michael Vincent steps over his body and out the door. Then we see a cab pull up at Charles Bronson's house. They're back in, uh, back in, or Charles Bronson thought, but Jan Michael Vincent is back in the States. And he goes through Charles Bronson's house. And he grabs the ball of wax. And he starts, you know, he starts squeezing it in his hand. He goes out to his car, which is parked in Charles Bronson's driveway. And he gets in his car, and Charles Bronson has left a note saying, Steve, if you read this, I didn't make it back. And you also triggered the bomb in this car. Boom! And that's where the movie ends. The movie ends on the explosion. Jan Michael Vincent is dead. Charles Bronson is dead. Everybody's dead in this movie. This is not a feel-good movie at all. And that's it. I mean, the movie ends that abruptly. The car explodes, the credit comes up. That's the end of the movie. And what did I think about this movie? This movie is, uh, there's a lot of things going on, but there's nothing going on. If you're, if you're entering it into it like a Charles Bronson shoot 'em up you're not going to like it. Because as I mentioned before through this, there's just a lot, it's the methodical pacing of a man that does a job a certain way. You just see how, you see through his eyes how things can be done and how small, just the smallest, smallest detail needs to be taken care of. And that's what this this movie is full of small details. And if you watch this movie as a character study about a guy, about you know about a man or two men, you're gonna like it. If you're gonna if you're gonna like a shoot 'em up, bang bang, you're not gonna like it. There's not gonna be enough action in this. So it just depends on what you want to get out of a movie. I enjoyed it. I I was able to enjoy the pace the slow pace i was i was very very interested on how charles bronson would figure out how to kill each person one little thing at a time jan michael vincent and charles bronson both give good performances 
as I said, everybody else in this movie is in a scene for uh, two or three minutes. The the film is just the relationship between Charles Bronson and Jan Michael Vincent. So I would recommend this movie, just making sure that you know that it's not a typical action movie. And that's it. That is uh, this episode of the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. So let me know what you think. Leave a message, whether you like this, whether you didn't. If you want, you can support me by going to my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White, and find out what I'm doing on all my projects by going to my website, scottyblanco.com. And that's it. And we are out of here. And I'll see you next time on the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Steve, if you read this, it means I didn't make it back. It also means you've broken a filament controlling a 13-second delay trigger. End of game. Bang, you're dead.